0: Became a pastor, a senior pastor, I was invited to a pastor's gathering in Dallas, Texas. And the draw for that particular event is that there was going to be several nationally known pastors in the room who were going to act as mentors. So I flew to Dallas. When I got there, the friend who invited me said, Grant, here's what's going to happen. So at lunchtime today, when the celebrity pastors leave, everybody's going to chase after them. Just hang back. Because what everybody doesn't know is those guys aren't going to lunch, they're going to the airport and they're leaving. So I'm like, okay. So I just hung back. And that's exactly what happened. The the famous people got up and left, and everybody chased after them. And I found myself sitting in a very quiet room with five other men. One of them said, Well, I guess nobody wants to talk to us. (laughs) So let's go eat. So they stood up, and I kind of sat there. And then one of them turned and looked at me and said, Are you coming? I'm like, Yes, I am. (laughs) Yes, I am. I went to lunch with Larry Osborne, Wayne Cordero, Pete Briscoe, Bob Buford, and Bob Russell. To some of you, those names mean absolutely nothing. To me, I was going to have lunch with my heroes. These guys were legends in the church world, and I need you to understand just how much this affected me. So let me put it in your world. So if you're a NASCAR fan in this world, what was going to happen you were about to have lunch with jimmy johnson jeff gordon dale earnhardt senior kale yarborough and richard petty do you understand i don't know anything about nascar but those names mean something to you okay if you love the nfl you were about to have lunch with tom brady joe montana peyton manning johnny unitas and geno smith can i hear something all right if you're a professional wrestling fan, you're about to have lunch with Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Steam Cold Sto- Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock and Harley Race. Some of you are like, what Woo! What just happened in church, right? My point is this, having lunch with those guys was a really big deal to me. So we walked down to a little Italian restaurant, we ordered lunch, I pushed my lunch aside because I just wanted to ask questions. I wanted to learn this is what i loved about that table and this comes from the table qualities that we talked about last week our connection was centered on jesus the blessing that happened was in the humility of everyone that was gathered around that table our common brokenness actually drew us together and everyone was given an opportunity to share about what was really happening in their lives it's a beautiful table moment i'll never forget what wayne cordero shared wayne shared openly that he was actually recovering from a nervous breakdown the pressure of, of leading a large church had finally gotten to him and he had cracked and he'd come to Dallas to hang out with Bob Buford, who was the president of the Leadership Network. He wrote a book called Halftime, which is famous. And And Wayne was trying to put the pieces of his life back together again and he shared it so openly. I asked him, so, Wayne, what are you learning? I'm like, what are you learning in this journey that you're on? And I will never forget what he did because he actually took a knife And he picks it up. I'm gonna use a meter stick because it's easier for you to see. Oh, there, my Canadian just came out. A yard stick, sorry. (laughs) There it is. And he balanced the knife on his finger. And he said, Grant, this is what I always thought balance looked like. And I worked so hard to make sure that my whole life was in balance. Here was the problem. When I finally found balance in my life, I realized something. I couldn't move because if I moved any direction at all, everything was going to come apart. Because then I discovered this wasn't balance at all. He said, because what would happen is pressure would start to come in my life and instead of moving towards it and trying to figure out what God was doing, I ran away and I started making really bad choices and I end up falling apart. He goes, but then I began to discover something. I began to learn something that that if in God's strength you don't avoid the problem, instead you move towards it. He goes, I began to learn that even though there was pressure in my life, that this was still balance. For some of you, that's all you needed to hear in church today. All you needed to hear was that you don't need to avoid, you don't need to deny, you don't need to stay away from the pressure in your life, but if in the power of God you actually develop courage and move towards what God wants you to do, if you don't try to handle it on your own, if you actually address it, that God will always bring you in balance no matter how much pressure is pushing in on you. You know, the alternative, of course, is denial or choosing something to numb the pain. And we all know from experience that that's not good. So I'm so glad I went to lunch that day. I'm so glad of what happened at that particular table. Which brings us to the scripture. David is feeling pressure. He's on the run from King Saul, and the men that have followed him are actually hungry. They have a real need; they need food and sustenance. Being hunted is never a good feeling, and David is feeling the pressure of being pursued by an adversary. His name was King Saul, and that guy wants him dead. This is no small thing. And the Bible says this is what happens. So David went to Nob, which is which is a geographic location, to Ahimelech the priest ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked why are you alone why is no one with you david answered ahimelech the priest the king sent me on a mission and said to me no one is to know anything about the mission i'm sending you on as for my men, i've told them to meet me at a certain place we've got to stop here because without the backstory none of this is going to make sense but i want to tell you what the backstory is right here here's the truth in this moment david lied he's not on a mission from the king he's running from the king the king wants him dead under pressure david who's described as being a man after god's own heart he chooses deception instead of truth instead of simply saying i'm scared i'm hungry and my men need something to eat david spins a tale embellishes his story and tries to mislead this priest the bible doesn't hide the fact that david lies and so we can't duck this truth either Under pressure, David deceives, and we learn a truth. No good ever comes from lying. And all God's people said, (laughs) right? I know that's not deep, but it's so true, and I think we all struggle with it at some point. Proverbs 6 says there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community of believers. There's a list for you. Did you notice which particular sin gets mentioned twice? A lying tongue... And a false witness who pours out lies. God hates dishonesty because it destroys trust, it tears down businesses, it messes up families, and it blows up marriages. Doctors Linda and Charlie Brown write on Marriage for Psychology Today, which, of course, is a secular psychology journal. In a recent article, Charlie openly wrote these words He said, To be perfectly honest, I'm not always perfectly honest lies no matter how small always take their toll on the trust goodwill and respect in our relationships the bad news is that most of us are likely to struggle with issues of deceit throughout our lives the good news is that as we practice being conscious communicators we become less tolerant of our own dishonesty he says the further good news is that in cleaning up our own act we can inspire others to do the same He says this, whether you call it a justification, a rationale, a white lie, a fib, a half-truth or an exaggeration, a lie is a lie is a lie. The consequences of dishonesty are always the same. Feelings of guilt and anxiety and an increased mistrust of self and others... He goes on, we lie to avoid the unpleasant consequences of telling the truth. We don't want to look bad, feel bad, or upset others. Each time we use this form of avoidance, we deepen our sense of being ill equipped to handle the truth, thus reinforcing a feeling of inner weakness. This just leads to further deceit. Lying undermines the foundation of every relationship more than anything else. Finding the courage and commitment to confront the tendency to lie can add strength love and integrity into our relationships although it isn't easy to break the habit of deceit it's possible even for those who've practiced subtle or not so subtle forms of it for years here's his last line the motivation for this work comes from seeing what we can gain by it setting foot on the path of integrity forever changes our lives for the better so let me make this personal To be completely honest, I'm not always completely honest. There are times when I lie to avoid conflict because I don't like conflict. There are times when I want to create a more favorable impression, so I'll say things that aren't true. Sometimes I lie because, ironically, I want to prove to somebody I'm a good, honorable, intelligent, competent, successful, or some combination of the above kind of person. And every single time I do, I'm complicit with something God hates. And I don't think I'm the only one. Honesty's a high calling and good comes out of it every single time we choose to bring it to the table. Can we take a moment? How quick are you to embrace truth in your words and your actions? David's under pressure, he makes the wrong choice. In the sight of what David did wrong, can we please not miss what he did right? He was on his way to the house of God. He's under pressure, and he was on his way to the house of God. I don't know what you've got going on in your life today, but boy, I'm so glad you're here. For those of you that are watching online i'm so glad that you are here david is headed in the right direction he's moving to the right environment he's got the right heart he just made the wrong choice to lie what does that mean when you make the wrong choice don't allow it to define you stop confess repent and keep moving in god's direction not away move towards the pressure okay stick with me because lying is not the only issue on the table Okay. David keeps talking to this priest. He says, now then, what do you have on hand? I want you to remember, David's men are hungry. Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here. Provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. I want you to remember, these guys have been running for their lives. The man's bodies are holy even on missions that are not holy, how much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Some of you are like, okay, what in the world is this story all about? Okay, there was the issue of David's lying, but that's not the only issue in the story. And this is where the table really shows up. The ceremonial and sacred bread that David was actually asking for was placed on a table in the tabernacle that was known as the table of showbread or the table of God's presence. In the tabernacle, there was a table and it looked like this it was inlaid with gold, it was beautiful and every sabbath the priests would take 12 loaves of bread one for each of the 12 tribes of israel and at the end of the week the bread was replaced and the original bread was eaten but here was the rule only the priests could eat that bread david has an issue it's lying now ahimelech has an issue there are rules about this table David, you and your men are not allowed to eat this bread. According to the rules, the holy bread from this table was only for the priest. But now, all of a sudden, there's a real need. There's a human need in conflict with the rules. Ahimelech has an issue. Human need versus ceremonial law. Okay, stick with me. Jesus ran into exactly the same issue in the New Testament. He's confronted one day by a group of religious rule keepers who care more about their rules than the basic need of human hunger. Listen to how Jesus handles the dilemma in Mark chapter two. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along and as they did, they began to pick up some heads of grain. The Pharisee said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath?" He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, who was Ahimelech's boss, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the sabbath okay you got an old testament story now you've got a new testament story and some of you are asking what is the point what can we learn from a table story that spans old and new testament what are the practical applications we can take home to our own tables this week can i suggest four for you here's the first one don't mistake The letter of the law for the spirit of the law. Okay, you gotta hear this clearly, all right? There were two parts of the Old Testament law. There was a ceremonial law and there was a moral law. They were both important and good. God gave them both. They both mattered. But Jesus was teaching something here that was so important. The Pharisees got things flipped over. They put rules over human need. Jesus was flipping the script back over again. Human need is unbelievably important. The Pharisees got them flipped over and they were clinging to the ceremony and ignoring their moral obligation to acknowledge something simple. People need food. They need to eat. They were so fixated on the rules that they were missing out on the fact. The bread of life jesus was standing right in front of them and they couldn't see it they were missing the fact that their old testament trivia contest made them blind to the fact living water that would quench their spiritual thirst and the bread that would never allow them to be hungry was right there in front of them and available and they missed it why because they were nitpicking about rules Jesus was inviting them to his table, the table of Sabbath rest, but their rules kept them from even acknowledging the invitation. So my friend, what about you? What are you allowing in your life that's keeping you from accepting fully the invitation of Jesus? Can you identify today what's holding you back? Because I don't want you to hear the letter of the law. I want you to hear the spirit of the law when it comes to Jesus. You are welcome at his table. God wants you there. And my prayer today is that we will never allow pride or pretense or stubbornness or the lie of unworthiness to keep us away from a table connection that can actually change your eternity. Lesson number two. Don't ever miss out on the power of meeting a genuine need. The priest gives David the bread. Rules are no rules. Ahimelech, he sees a need and he meets it, and he's commended later on in Scripture by the Son of God living bread himself. What does that mean for us? It's pretty simple. This week, at some point, I promise you, you're gonna see a need. Don't hesitate, just meet it. And see what God does. If you see a need in front of you, don't turn a blind eye. Don't see someone who's hungry and go, well, be warm and well-fed. I'm not talking about being irresponsible in any sort of a way. I'm saying this, when God puts a need in front of you, don't hesitate, just meet it. For some of you, that means you need to invite someone to sit at your table, someone who's different than you, who thinks differently than you, and you need to welcome them into a place of safety just to see what God does. It's not just about filling their stomach. It's about connecting with their heart, and I promise you, God will use it every single time. It's a part of the mission that God has called us to as a church. I'm going to talk about this in two weeks, but I'm going to say about, now, say about it right now. To the people who have been blessed, don't use your blessing to build bigger fences, use your blessing to extend your table. Now, I'll preach. Come back in two weeks. Lesson number three don't lie to yourself. You know, when we talk about loving people who are far from God, there are lies that start up in our minds right away. Lies that say things like, my story could never matter. My story could never make a difference in someone else's life. That is not true. God gave you your story for a reason. Some of you are gonna say, I, I, I don't have enough knowledge to share my faith in Jesus. That's not true. The Holy Spirit will make sure you have everything you need in every single conversation because he actually loves the person you're talking to more than you ever could. Here's another lie. My invitation to the table is insignificant. It's never gonna matter. That's not true. Not to the person who says yes. Here's another lie. My past is just a little too much for Jesus to overcome. It's not true. Say, Grant, show me some evidence. Here's another lie. I'm not worthy of God's invitation to his table. None of us are worthy, but Jesus says, You need worthiness, you can borrow mine. <laughs> you can borrow mine. I'll stand in front of you. I wrote out the invitation card. I've got a seat right here. All I need you to do is sit. Just take a seat at the table. That's what I'm calling you to do. God's invited you to his table, and he wants you to not only come, but he wants you to make space for others, just like he did. And lesson number four. Don't ever miss out on an opportunity to embrace the full presence of God. I love the name of the table. In the tabernacle and ultimately in the temple. It's called the table of showbread, but there was another name for it, and and I just I love it. It was the table of God's presence. When we convene in the name of Jesus at any table, we bring with us the promise of God's presence. He says, I will show you ways to bring other people into my presence by a simple invitation, by extending an opportunity for them to come. I heard you singing this before. I stood in the wings and listened to you sing. Your presence is an open door. I want you, Lord, like never before. Were we just singing words or was that our actual prayer? God, your presence is an open door. And this is what I can promise you when we tap into God's heart for community, God not only reveals himself in those moments, but he draws people towards himself. In both stories, Old and New Testament, the bread was there, provided by God, and with it came his presence. Every week, if we don't experience the presence of God, it's not because it wasn't offered. <laughs> you know what I love about the presence of God? It's not restricted to real estate in churches. The presence of God is right now on Western's campus. It's at the Northwest Indian College. It's with the Bellingham Technical College. It's downtown on Railroad and Hawley. Some of you are like, are you serious? i like, guess. yes. The presence of God is swirling in all different places. What what God is begging is that for, for those of us who love him, that we would extend our table to have conversations, not just for our good, but for his glory. The presence of God breathes life into our mission and passion that allows us to reach out to people who need In my early years of ministry, I got to serve on Skid Row in Los Angeles. That's where I cut my teeth on ministry. As with every serving moment, every time I went to inner city LA, I got so much more than I ever gave. One of the places where we would minister was called the Lord's Kitchen in South Los Angeles. It started by a pastor named Dr. E.V. Hill. E.V. Hill has gone on to glory, but I'll tell you what, I've I've heard some preachers in my life that E. V. Hill would light you up. <sighs> We'd go to the Lord's kitchen and we would serve breakfast. And I remember one morning after serving oatmeal with gravy, I didn't say that wrong. I'm just going to let that soak in for a second. Oatmeal with gravy. <laughs> I walked out of the building and there was a a picnic table off to the side with five men. We were so different. I was white, they were black. I was young, they were older. In comparison, I was country and they were city. They were unhoused, struggling, and broke. I had a home. I didn't think I was struggling. And in comparison, I was wealthy. We were different. I had been introduced before as the pastor of this group of high school students. And so they were regarding me with some level of suspicion and I didn't blame them. And all it took was six words of invitation to break down all the barriers. Would you like to join us powerful words. Would you like to join us? Can I tell you what happened in the following moments? I discovered something. They were street pastors. They were street shepherds. And they tucked me under their wing and they ministered to me. They fed my soul. They prayed for me. They shepherded me. They offered me love, comfort, acceptance, and hope. I didn't bring anything to the table, but I sure walked away with a lot. By the way, those men, they're my heroes, too. This series is not just about hospitality. It's a call to use your table as a missional connection with the world that Jesus wants to save. And one of the ways that we're doing that is by starting a brand new initiative called Table Groups. We're going to do that this fall. So we're going to launch a new type of small group called table groups. They're gatherings of 10 to 15 people centered around sharing meals, praying, growing, and serving together. If you're interested in hosting a table group, we've got an informational meeting coming up on the 17th of September. Lunch is going to be provided. That seems fitting. You can find all the information at info.ctk.church for just a little bit more reference. We want to find ways to make space for other people in our lives. And table groups are a way of inviting someone to do exactly what my brothers did in South LA, to make space, to say, would you like to pull up a chair so that they can meet Jesus and find their place? As I've said, table groups are gonna be centered around sharing meals, praying, growing, and serving together. We believe, we have a conviction here at Christ the King that we are most formed like Jesus in community. And I'm gonna tell you, I I so desperately want people to find a place at the table. So all that information is at info.cdk.church. What if God didn't just create you to find your place at the table? What if he created you to pull up open a chair for somebody else and say, why don't you sit with me? What if that is an actual manifestation of God's mission to each one of us? What if it's just that beautiful and just that simple? There are people in this room right now, and I know for a fact that that you're just, you're curious about this Jesus thing. You're investigating. It doesn't maybe all make sense to you, and you're wondering today, like, I mean, he talked about Jesus, Hulk Hogan, Richard Petty, David a table covered in gold and I don't quite understand all of it. It's okay. If you're here today and don't know Jesus you need to know he wants you to sit down have a conversation nothing that you can share about your life he doesn't already know. And while in other circumstances, you might sit across from somebody and go, if I shared all of me with someone, they would run screaming from the room. I promise you that will not be the response of Jesus. Jesus will sit there and go, I know, I know. And in spite of all of that, I loved you so much, I died for you. My body was broken for you. My blood was spilled for you. And if you were the only person on the face of the earth, I would have come anyway. So today, I'd like to pull, up, pull a chair out for you. Say, like, come and be part of our family. Come sit at the table with us. Like, but Grant, I got this going on. Googling. Yeah, okay. So do all the rest of us. And anybody in the room that says they don't have issues or have a problem at some point in their life, I would refer you back to the beginning part of the message <laughs> about lying. I'm going to invite Eve and Randy. They're going to come and join me because I need some help today. We're, we're going to take a moment to reflect, to think, to process together. I know there was a lot in today's message. I mean, Old Testament, New Testament rules, ceremony, gold covered tables. All of it comes down to this God wants you at his table. And once you've found your place, he wants you to invite others to join you. And no matter what has happened in your life to this point, you're welcome. Eve and Randy are gonna sing over you. I'm gonna put the lyrics up just so you can see them and hear them. Some of us are auditory learners. Some of us need to see things tangibly to hold on. And so I invite you today on this beautiful, gorgeous September morning to to just soak in this moment. Some of you are like, Grant, I accepted that invitation 30 years ago. I'm good. Have you ever invited anyone to join you? Maybe you need to hear the invitation again so you'll be prompted to start praying for that person that you think they're just never, ever gonna come to the table. You don't know that. You don't know that. And you'll never know unless you invite them. And I can speak from my own experience. It may not be one invitation or two invitation or three invitations or four invitation. There are some praying grandmas in this room who have invited thousands of times because that's the heart of God. Don't stop inviting. And maybe you're here and you're just like, I I just don't feel worthy. Don't buy the lie. Jesus will loan you his worthiness. You're welcome. So let's just reflect for a few moments. And then I'm gonna invite you to actually sit at the table with me.